0: And I'm just like, what is happening right now? It seems <laughs> this is the greatest football scene of all time because it makes no sense. Seems like there was some
1: serious foul penalties that wouldn't <laughs> offset for that. You
0: know? Yeah, it's like I don't think the touchdown counts anymore, buddy. Just just guessing.
1: Oh my goodness. All but right.
0: Who wrote this scene? He just shakes off three tackles like they're three year olds trying to take down a freight train. And then he's like, you know what? For this next guy, bullet. (laughs) That'll
1: teach him. Oh, I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm not going to say anything. There were just, there were a lot of comments, but I think they would all get me into trouble.
0: What is up my nerds? Welcome inside pop culture with fanboy and know it all. I'm Jake. I am Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Cue Interesting Commentary from Paul. Oh <laughs>
1: I was wondering do I usually say something there I mean I thought about saying yes and our crazy brains are crazier than normal but I felt like we had said that before you know
0: We do we do say that before but it's not a bad thing in a podcast to have what is known as ritual uh I'm trying to create some ritual here where I get crazy and you have to react to my crazy but you know here we are it's fitting that we're just discombobulated and talking over one another because Um, this podcast was sort of inspired by another conversation that was discombobulated with people talking all over the top of one another.
1: Oh my goodness. There is some truth to that, isn't there? Oh my goodness.
0: You know, to paraphrase Paul's email, it's not partisan to say that the first presidential debate was a debacle.
1: I tell you what, Jake, we have had some spirited discussions here we have taken strenuous issues with what each of us thinks about certain things, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and we have to do some, uh, some, some some heated discussions.
0: That's right. When monkeys are stroking black, large black obelisks,
1: I have I, issues. I tell you what, if, if even one of our podcasts went like that debate, I would be looking for therapy and and or a way out of my contract that is for sure for sure oh my goodness i was just oh bummed about that stupid debate so bummed ah did you watch it jake i don't even know if you watched it no i i personally opted
0: for the Twitter edition, which is great because you get all the stress of watching the debate without actually watching the debate. Oh my goodness! Yeah, my my wife decided she wanted to watch it, and I said, "Have fun with that mess." I'm not watching it, and but then I got onto Twitter to watch all the reactions of people watching it, and then my wife was giving me running commentary up and down as she was doing other things. And uh, so I feel like in my effort to avoid the stress of watching the debate, I got all of the stress of watching the debate (laughs) without actually ever putting my eyes on it live.
1: So, Jake, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a closet political junkie. I love politics or did used to. Um, I grew up in a very political family. My dad was a political cartoonist. So we used to watch the conventions, the debates. We watched the nightly news every night. We argued all the time about various issues. It was great. But lately, I have just found myself, you know, pretty much since 2016, not saying anything about anything, but pretty much since 2016, I've sort of moved away because it was just a little too stressful for me. And my wife's birthday was actually the day of the debate. So we did her birthday party at my, my daughter's house. We opened presents. We had cake. We had a nice dinner. And then we drove home. And I made the mistake of turning on the radio, turning on the radio. And of course, the debates were there. And once you start listening to a train wreck like that, you just can't stop listening. You just have to keep listening. And so we listened to it all the way home. I turned it on when I came home. Um, it was, oh, having watched pretty much every single debate round within within my political lifetime since I was 16 or something like that, I can honestly say it was the most dispiriting debate I have ever laid my little eyes on. And I have lived a long time. I just... And
0: you lived through the 2016 election.
1: <laughs> I did. I watched the 2016 debates. This one was just, this one was a world apart for me. And it was, it was dispiriting. And so because of that, Jake, I I actually suggested to you that I need a little soul cleansing to, to be done on this podcast. I really would like to watch something to give me a little bit of encouragement about our political system. And so I suggested nineteen thirty nine 1939's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington.
0: Yes, you did. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the first little bit of this show before we get on to something uh, less distressing, but also sometimes more stressful in <laughs> sports and sports movies. Yes. Uh, as sports have returned and now we've got all the sports happening all the time, every night, every single minute of the day. But Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, some blatant... American propaganda from 1939. Paul, I have to say, now having watched – this was on my backlist, Hall of Shame, so it sort of doubled, do, did some double duty here. Um, now having watched Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, I am quite surprised you picked this as your feel-good, feel feel-better-after-the-debate <laughs> film because uh, it did not leave me feeling better – in the end,
1: well, I can understand that. And, and and first, just to set it up a little bit, since we're launching right in, usually we wait for a commercial break. Break, it seems like, but since we're diving right in,
0: that's right. Since you you blew up the ritual earlier, so I'm blowing up a ritual <laughs> right here. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: So yeah, the 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 movie is about. If you don't, if you're not familiar with it, it stars Jimmy Stewart. This was the the role that made Jimmy Stewart a star, really. Uh, Jimmy the- Stewart, as I like to call him. James Stu, um, it's directed by Frank Capra, who also directed It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it Big was, <laughs> It was made in 1939 during the heart of the Great Depression, before World War II, but obviously there was some concern about that as well. And it really involves this naive, idealistic uh, Boy Scout leader for lack of a better word, um, who gets... Or boy ranger boy leaders, and
0: that's literally the
1: word they use in the movie. You know, who's counting? They, they couldn't get the rights to the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts <laughs> know. So it, he's a boy ranger, ranger guy, and he is appointed to fill in for a senator who just died. He goes to Washington, and he finds himself all of a sudden just right in the middle of this big... Corrupt, grafty, political machine mess that he discovers, and he realizes that one of his idols—you know, the the senator that that helped brought him along—he was good friends with his dad. The senator that that he had always looked up to as a child was a little bit corrupt himself. Well, not just a little bit; quite a bit corrupt. So that's that's sort of the setup, and it, and it sort of sets up. Uh, mr smith as he tries to figure out what to do about this situation and whether american politics should really be believed in at all
0: and i have to say for a movie with that premise it both seemed it still seemed to me to be overly idealistic about the great american spirit uh, or the and uh now that said it's a very effective movie I get why people like this movie. Um, One of the all-time classics. Yeah. After you get past – it takes a minute to get moving. But once you get into the heart of the film, it – draw for a comedy, kind of a dramedy type film, it really draws you into the tension really effectively. And that's something Capra did really well. I found myself leaning forward sort of – you know putting my fingers up to my mouth like getting into more tense physical postures as the movie was going along um in tandem with the story wanting to draw you into the the tension that it was building and so i do have to tip my hat to capra for telling an effective story even though once you step away and take a look at the overall thing you realize boy there's so many things that don't make sense in the plot that the timeline gets a little jumbled, and things happen on in amounts of time that make absolutely no sense and it's just but it's a wild ride of a film that's fun to watch. so there it's it's worth a, it's worth the cinema goers' time in that regard
1: alone i'll I'll give it that. See, and that's a really interesting phrase that you used. It's a wild ride, which is not something that you necessarily think about when it comes to a 1939 black and white movie about politics, right. but really is. And I think that that's a tribute to Jimmy Stewart, um, because he is, if you're not familiar with, very familiar with what he does in, in his earlier films, he's very much an everyman, right? He's, he's the ultimate, ah, shucks, gee whiz type of a guy. He's incredibly likable. And, he really carries this movie with his innocent, naive idealistic attitude. Um, one of the things that impressed me when I, when I watched this over again, was just how struck he was by Washington. And I think that it's, it's an interesting statement on the power of Washington DC itself. Um, you drive around, you walk around, and you see those incredible monuments. And I think um, in some ways, you have to be pretty cynical not to be moved by some of what you see there, right? Because I, 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 being a political guy, you know, I know, I, I feel like I'm, I can be pretty cynical about politics too. You know, it, it's, we know that it is not a pure and innocent process, this political machine of ours. And just talking about the the broad brushstrokes of, of American, American um, political mechanizations. But you go around and you see the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial and Jefferson and, and FDR. And they're just, there's these beautiful, beautiful landmarks um, that really, I think express the power of our political system at its best. You know, we know that those people were totally imperfect. You look at Jefferson, you know, that he had slaves, you know, we talked about Hamilton. We know that he was not a perfect guy in Hamilton for sure. But you know, that that behind some of these figures, all of whom had their failings and their faults. Um, Within the architecture of these monuments, you see this expression of what America can be, and we know that it often is not. And I think that that's one of the things that this movie does really effectively, is that it shows both what America can be and acknowledges that it often is not.
0: See, and that for me is where I actually think a little, I think two things. One, um, I actually think it failed in that respect specifically. But two, I also think that my thought on that and your thought on that actually sets up my second point. Well, and that I think the movie is actually something of a Rorschach test for the person watching it and where they're coming from and what they're hoping to see in it and what they already are starting to think or believe about the American experience, the American experiment Uh, when it comes to politics and the systems and the history there. and Because as I was reading other people's takes on the film um, and finding myself with a very different take on the film than many of these others, I was sort of realizing, I think based on what you bring into this, you can get a lot of different – you can see a very different message in this film. And for me, the message that I thought came across or uh, most – poignantly, was this idea that, oh, this naive guy who loves America and the history of America, and he quotes the Constitution and Lincoln and Jefferson and Washington, is encounters the majesty of D.C., but then is struck by this villainy behind the scenes and but then is inspired to fight that villainy by like, but look at the examples of all those who rose above this villainy and were better than the villainy. They weren't that, and they were good. And to me, it it ended up putting it into two buckets and saying there's your good and there's your bad and not really dealing with very well. It kind of touches on it in one small moment on how the good can come from the bad and, um, how through the midst of the bad, some people who are broken people end up getting some good done. The movie itself, to me, puts forward the message that, oh, if only we had these idealistic originalists. And that's where Mr. Smith's strength comes from, is he goes to the Lincoln Memorial again and finds his strength at the idol of Abraham Lincoln in his temple. It's literally called, and you see it in the movie, The Temple. Of Abraham Lincoln, right, and he finds his strength from the gods of the American founders, and so, in my own bringing my own perspective and seeing the Rorschach test, I saw a movie that still oversimplified the American experiment and over idealized what the those who have managed to get some good things out of the experiment uh, without properly acknowledging all the brokenness involved even as it deals with some brokenness it just seems to say oh isn't this a shame that some pockets of evil have infiltrated the system yeah i thought it it could have made a much stronger point about how the entire system is permeated with broken people
1: who choose to rise above even their own brokenness so I have about 17 points that I want to bring up now.
0: <laughs> I see you jotting down some good notes.
1: Well, I was thinking, how am I going to make sense of all this? Because I've already forgotten about 15 of them. But, but the first thing, um, to acknowledge sort of what you're coming from, I, I think, number one, we have to acknowledge what what Frank Capra is all about. And he is about those innocent, feel-good, let's get to the core goodness of something. Right type of movies. I mean, you think about "It's a Wonderful Life," and that is the most incredibly sweet bit of schmaltz that you will ever ever see. It's a beautiful movie, and let yet it doesn't have any any. It has hardship, and yet it doesn't feel gritty. You know, it doesn't right. have that mess. It doesn't have that sense of complexity that I think we look to often in the movies that we see um especially today i think that we have a better tolerance of complexity and of mixed messages capra was not about that he wanted he was Mm -hmm. away with this core message right and it works from a
0: storytelling perspective right he's not francis ford coppola but he is frank capra (laughs)
1: He is Frank Capra, and, and to be honest with you, I'd rather watch a Frank Capra movie than a Francis Ford Coppola movie most nights, <laughs> because they just, you watch them and you feel good. Now, the irony of, of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is it really does give you a, in some ways, a gloomy picture of, of the, the state of politics, even back in 1939, where theoretically, we'd think it was better, but... Right this movie suggests it wasn't um it and i think when you talk about it being sort of a rorschach test i think that that's that you may be really on to something here i'm sure you've probably seen this but um but a lot of senators when they first saw this movie yeah they didn't want anybody to see it, because this movie that oftentimes we think of as a salute to the American political system, they thought it made these politicians look terrible, and it did. It It does. It it can be
0: unflattering.
1: But at the same time, when um, Nazi Germany banned American movies from, from French theaters, a lot of those French theaters chose to push against that ban to play. It's a wonderful life. It was one of the last movies that most French the art not it's a wonderful life, but Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It was one of the f- last movies that they showed before the ban went into effect. And there was one theater that played the movie for 30 hours straight. Um, so I think when you watch this movie, you can come around, you can come away feeling deeply inspired by the political system or at least the, the ideals behind that political system, while still feeling very disgruntled and upset by how that political system often manifests itself. And uh, it's it's an interesting movie to walk through from that perspective, for sure.
0: And I'll say, on top of that, I almost feel like it's a more troubling movie in our modern, in our modern post twenty sixteen context, because of the way it really um, indicts like the press and the media machine as as being a huge part of the problem, and uh, like I, as I was watching this, I had this strong sense that if you put again this Rorschach test, you put this movie in front of somebody who is sympathetic to Q Anonymous or is Q light as maybe we might call them. And this is going to be a movie that confirms every and be like, exactly. It's all true. It's all a big lie. It's all a big machine. We've been kept under. None of this is real. And it's going back way back when, and I knew I was right. And all this stuff that I think that is crazy is right. And I was like, this could be a dangerous movie for many people in these days, because although it's good to recognize that the system isn't perfect and that there is brokenness and corruption in the system. Uh, it does not mean that all crazy conspiracies are more than just uh, in factual theories.
1: It was interesting because that was one of the things that I noticed more definitely this time around than I, I noticed the first time I watched this movie, which was 10 or 15 years ago, What which was how the media war was portrayed. Being an old media person myself, you know, I thought the portrayal was a little bit unfair. Um, But yet you can understand it. It, It's also interesting. This is a movie that, that, and maybe all movies do this to some extent, but as you grow up and as you grow older, I think that you bring more... The movies that you watch change as well. When I first watched this movie, I think I viewed it... Um, as a more liberal movie than it felt this last time, you know, mm. because I think that that Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Frank Capra. There's this there's this sort of FDR optimism. It was right during Franklin Delano Roosevelt's, uh, you know, reign. You can almost say right. is. uh, He was elected four times. He definitely had his time in in the White House. And I think that it was known as sort of this time when when people really trusted the government more, even despite what this movie shows. Right. Um, And I think that some of that FDR optimism sort of um, imbued this movie with some of its magic. Oddly enough, when I watch this, I can totally understand what you're saying, because there's also definitely a drain the swamp message in this movie right you know it's talking about the these corrupt politicians who do things for their own ends and all that kind of stuff and obviously that swings both ways we can definitely make arguments that they're that that corruption does not really obey party lines but definitely some of the themes that you see played out in mr smith also help to propel a certain a certain person into the white house, you know, just those feelings of, of, of angst of distrust toward the government, the idea that we need an honest person in there to advocate for what really needs to be done.
0: Yep. Yeah. So it ended up feeling oddly prescient in a way. I don't even think it probably meant to, uh, 70 plus years ago. So, Mr. Smith goes to Washington.
1: Well, let me ask you um, this. Since, okay. I, since I sort of frame this as sort of this feel-good, palate-cleansing type of experiments from, from, from the debate, the idea of, of politics shown in in an imperfect but more idealistic light. And for me, it really does feel like a, a a nice way to sort of counteract some of that gloom that I had sort of felt about the political system for a while did this work for you in terms of that feel-good movie? Did it make you feel a little more optimistic about the United States and its imperfect un- political system, or was it just a big old knot?
0: It did not make me feel better. The closest that I could say to it making me feel better is, well, at least... This sentiment with among the public of, hey, I'm frustrated with the government system. It feels like it's not working for me. It feels like it's working for someone else that is sort of being explored in this movie. You know it's been in existence for a lot longer than our current time period. This confirms that very publicly, right? very uh, resonantly so. But I didn't feel any better because I think again from that Rorschach test angle. Am I even saying that word right? I'm I, just going yeah. Rorschach. Um, from that angle, it I could just see all these extra problems with people watching it now, or with it. It, it just it it. I did not find optimism. In it for me.
1: Oh, Jake, you make me so sad. It was such a nice, optimistic movie. Frank Capra. Frank. I mean, again, I
0: enjoyed the movie. I'm not. I'm not upset that I watched it. I just didn't come away feeling any better about the state of our politics. It didn't. (laughs) It didn't make me feel. Didn't rouse me. Um, But that said. My own journey related to politics and faith and the way I approach life and faith and politics has morphed significantly over the last uh, you know, seven to ten years. Had I watched this in high school, I imagine I might have felt a little bit more roused. One, the political dynamic was a lot different then. And my own political views, inclinations, worldviews were significantly different. So I, I see how this movie could be and is for many people an optimistic, rousing, stirring film. For me it didn't provide that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me as an as an old gaffer, I think that they, they and I'm also a, a history wonk, right? I I'm I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I I have read you know I'm I'm trying to plow through biographies of all the presidents in that we've ever had. Right? I'm on I'm on Grover Cleveland right now. Who is a really boring president.
0: <laughs> Good old Grover. See, but, I appreciate boring presidents so much more now. I actually always have my favorite president was uh Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. Nothing <laughs> president. So that's always been an inclination of mine, but especially now,
1: <laughs> especially now I, I sympathize, but, but in a way, because of, because of what I've read, I've come to the realization that, that politics that make you feel sort of slimy and dirty, they are really, really nothing new. Yeah. We go back to the, you know, essentially the second, the, the, really the very first presidential election. Um, and so because of that, it feels like, um, the graft, the corruption that we see in Mr. Smith, the troubles that we see now, they feel not as unexpected as they otherwise would. And the thing that I think for me, again, as, as, as a person who maybe is just a little bit older and just needs that. That sense of optimism, that dream, if you will, even if it's un- if, even if it's an unrealistic dream, it's um, it's nice to see that behind all the dirt, the grime, the corruption, the mess that our political system has, that there is some real beauty to it. Um, I actually saw this, and this this is a movie that you might want to watch, Jake. I think it's on uh, it's on Apple Plus. I don't know if you have that Apple TV Plus. Boy's mm-hmm. State. It gives you sort of the same feeling. I think um, it's a great documentary about the Texas Boys State, and you see these these kids who really are into politics, um, and it gives you that sense of where politics is going wrong. But it also shows intrinsically the beauty of the political system and what it can mean at its best.
0: There you have it. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Have you watched it? Has it been a while? Rewatch it and tell us what you think. Uh, It's not free anywhere, but you can get it from the PlayStation store or the Google or Apple or Amazon video. There's a lot of places you can rent it and, uh, or get it from your local library. Feel really old timey and nostalgic that way.
1: It is definitely a classic. It's gonna be available at your local library. It's much better than Jake would would give it credit for.
0: I I don't think that's fair to say given it seen as I gave it a lot of credit as a movie, even if it didn't accomplish what Paul wanted it to accomplish for me. Uh it is it is a worthwhile watch and I would be curious to hear how others perceive it with their own baggage and worldviews. <laughs> But enough about baggage and worldviews, and now it's time for some sports. <laughs> Welcome inside Rank Geeks. Nope, nope. Let's get ready for Rank Geeks. That's my worst, best. Impression of a boxing (laughs) announcer saying, let's get ready to rumble. Could you tell?
1: (laughs) Let's get ready to rumble. That was pretty bad.
0: Yeah, that sounded like an old man dying while constipated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, which... You know, I'm sure there's some statistics on that somewhere. But that's not what we're ranking in this episode of Rank Geeks. <laughs> where two smelly nerds put things in numerical order and Paul explains the conceit for this slight, slight adjustment to our normal Rank Geeks formula.
1: A slight deviation where we're not actually ranking anything, are we? I mean, so... Kind, kind
0: of. I mean, we're saying our favorite sports.
1: Our favorite, but... The the usual thing that we do, top five, we just don't have that kind of time. And for once, I talked Jake into making a podcast shorter as opposed to longer. So I think that that's improvement. I'm very excited. But here's the conceit. Um, for the first time, I think, ever... COVID has given us a strange sports gift. First of all, it took it away for months and months and months and months. But then when it brought it back, it brought all the team sports back at once, essentially. And so for the first time that that I think has ever happened, we had all four major sports, basketball, football, baseball, hockey going and all, even soccer. And even soccer All going at the very same time. Um, It it was a remarkable thing. And for a sports geek like me, it made weekends all the better. Especially when some of the Denver teams were doing pretty well for a brief moment. But so what we're going to do is we're actually going to set up and, and talk about... I didn't do soccer, actually, Jake. So I just have the top four American popular sports.
0: Yeah, I did say this is a very American episode since American. we talked about how the all four major sports were back and soccer wasn't one of them. <laughs> when compared to the world, we should cook, kick hockey out.
1: How Actually, we should kick football, football out and put out soccer out. in. Exactly. But, but we are Americans and most of our listeners are likely Americans. I'm guessing. That's right. Um, since we don't have a great translation service at our at our beck and call yet, so we're just going to do the the top four team American sports: football, baseball, basketball, and hockey, and name the best film from each sport uh, that has ever been made about that that particular sport.
0: So I'll give a quick shout out to our European friends to say that "Kicking and Screaming" from 2005 is the best soccer movie. Ever filmed, starring Will Ferrell, Robert Duvall. What about Bended Like Beckham? That was pretty. Never cool. saw it, and it can't be better than Will Ferrell as and gigging and screaming. So,
1: oh my goodness! How many of these movies have you selected have Will Ferrell in them? I I can think of about three that he just might one. qualify for.
0: Just that one, just in my honorable mention.
1: <laughs> so that's what we're doing. Just for anybody who might be offended, I really, really like soccer. But we're not doing it this time. Well, Paul's not doing it this time.
0: (laughs) So all of you really, really offended by Paul can be
1: my fanboys. (laughs) So how do you want to start this, Jake? Do you want to start it with, like, alphabetical order, uh, with popularity in terms of viewership? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) You pick. All right. Why don't we charge-
0: This is the Paul Ac episode. I decided yeah. Paul get to pick all the segments in this episode.
1: Why? And It feels like I'm talking like like more than you are, and that's a very rare thing. That's that's not right.
0: That's not right. it is dare I say unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> and I just triggered the entire audience. <laughs> I feel like unprecedented is the new moist. <laughs> you know how people hate the word moist. I have no problem with the word moist. I think I like the I actually actively like the word moist. I
1: think it is a really good word. for certain things, right? Yeah. Chocolate yeah. cake being one of them. I mean, yeah, you can't you can bite into a really good muffin and call it damp. Ugh. Juicy. It's got to be moist. Moist. This is, I'm I'm beginning to understand why people have a problem with that. I'm
0: going to do it in my best ASMR voice. Moist. (laughs)
1: All right. So, Jake, what we're going to do is we're going to do this by what I feel is the longevity of how long these sports have been around.
0: (laughs) Your your feeling of how long these sports have been around.
1: (laughs) That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing.
0: Pop science with fanboy and know-it-all.
1: So I know that baseball is the oldest of all Americanized sports. So let's let's dive into at least team sports. Obviously, horse racing, boxing, all that sort of stuff. We're not dealing with that here. We're dealing with team sports. Oh, also, horse, ra- horse
0: racing doesn't involve a
1: team. Last I checked, there was
0: a horse and a rider, Paul. <laughs> I am calling PETA right
1: now. We are, we are talking about the four major team sports where at least there's five people on a court or a field at once. You specious. I know. And there's some great horse racing movies. Oh, man, I could have gone to town on some horse racing movies. But we're starting with baseball. So, right. Jake, since you've given me the chair, I'm going to say I, I get to ask you for once, what is the best baseball movie in your opinion? So it's fitting
0: that baseball is possibly the oldest human-on-human team sport in America because in my pick for the baseball movie I've enjoyed watching the most ever, it's the oldest on my list. It's from 1976. Uh, It was between this and The Natural, uh, but with Robert Redford, which is actually even older. Uh, But I went with – 1976 the bad news bears.
1: You know, somehow I thought you were going to go with the bad news bears. Why? Why?
0: You know, this this movie is very me in the sense that it's about misfits and it's about somebody who's forced to do things with misfits and because he's a misfit himself yeah. even if he doesn't want to admit it. And it's, you know, you got this aging haggard ex minor leaguer who gets roped into coaching in this little league and he's crass and he's foul and yet it's an endearing and heartwarming film and for me as a as a person who values community and community that envelops even the most downcast and miscast and grumpy among us (laughs) <laughs> I like the con- the conceit of the bad news bears and and you know Walter Matthau he nails that grumpy old man you know that's his role right that's that is Walter Matthau that's just who he is and when he brings it and you you contrast it with the young kids and the heart and the you know this this to me is a feel good movie from the 1970s this to me you can go watch this and be like you know the good old days when kids could be kids and rapscallions playing sports outside (laughs) you know i there was sandlot sandlot could have you know on a on another given day sandlot could have been my number one
1: see that is so funny because i as i was just speaking i was thinking if i was going to bet which movie you would have picked i would have bet sandlot i didn't think that you would have necessarily even watched bad news bears but yep did uh did Walter Matthaus I know that you just um spent a lot of this year teaching your children soccer did you yeah. feel a little bit closer to Walter Matthaus character because of that it depends on what age I'm
0: coaching if I'm <laughs> coaching like for soccer I coached a four and five-year-old team and now in flag football I'm coaching a five and six-year-old team and with those ages goodness gracious it can be, it can be a trial on the human soul and spirit, and yet it's hilarious at the same time. Uh, I just was coaching a game two days ago, and my wife, I was, I was on some painkillers for a shoulder injury, and she's like, I could tell when your painkillers kicked in. I was like, what, what are you talking about? I like they're not that type of painkiller. You know, they're over the counter type stuff. And she's like, oh, well, your whole voice changed and the way you were coaching and just got much more excited and happy. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was me trying to mask how incredibly frustrated I was <laughs> with the fact that we didn't know, the, you know, which way was up. <laughs> so anyways, yes, all, all that to say.
1: Anyone who coaches youth sports, they are heroes in my book. That is tough work.
0: No. So that's that's highly likely the reason why this just edged out Sandlot. Because I think most of the time I'd probably pick Sandlot in this category.
1: <laughs> All right. So oddly enough, um, in my baseball category, it was also – the natural also came up for me. I haven't seen it for a long, long, it, long time. It's been a while, yeah. But I think Robert Redford was actually – you know, under the age of 70 when I had last side. Um, I also really considered The Rookie, which is a great Dennis Quaid, heartwarming, G-rated movie that is awfully good when it comes to actually uh, actually being a baseball movie.
0: Um, baseball movies with Rookie in the title. I prefer 1993's Rookie of the Year with Thomas Ian Nicholas. Uh,
1: it's... A, it's it's pales in comparison to the <laughs> rookie. Is great, but my top baseball movie, Field of Dreams.
0: Ah, can't stand Field of Dreams. What is wrong Ooh. with
1: you? Oh, Field of Dreams. What is wrong with you? Don't oh, like it. You know, I think Field of Dreams. It, it is you know that I have like this thing for father son stories, right? So yeah. part of it is is just that core message of the son who who'd had a bad relationship with his father. He um, builds this baseball field because these weird voices tell him to, um, and in in so doing, he reunites with his dearly departed dad. And so that it just chokes me up every single time. Do you want to? Do you want to? Th- throw the ball around, he says at the end, or something like that. It's really fantastic. And and actually, it's a little like uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in that it really is a movie about the beauty of baseball, right? You have this great speech by James Earl Jones talking about how baseball has always united the country during difficult times and You know, when you listen to James Earl Jones recite it, you can't help but believe it because it has that resonant voice. So I believe believe it. You are a cynic. How can Mm -hmm. you be so young and so cynical all at the same time? Well, one, a lot of hard work and perseverance (laughs) on my part. (laughs) Number
0: two, I actually think this movie is – to your point, a product of its time in that almost everyone I know who likes this movie is a middle-aged white man (laughs) who had some sort of troubled relationship with his dad.
1: I had a great relationship with my dad, but I do like father-son stories. I just just think it was great. I think you have to have taste.
0: I had a great relationship with my dad, so this movie was like, eh,
1: I'm good. Oh, my goodness. What is wrong with you?
0: I, I, it's not quite in Forrest Gump territory for me where I think it's vastly overrated, but I do think Field of Dreams is overrated.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: It's not one. Unlike, you know what? I recommend people watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington.
1: I don't recommend that for Field of Dreams. Don't bother. No, no, no. Field of Dreams is a total must watch. If you like baseball, if you like, if you have a heart at all, at all, field of dreams will hit you square in the center of it. Square in the center of it. You're, oh.
0: Asterisk, if you're a middle-aged white man,
1: <sighs> well, I'm in the best. You know, you make me you make me very sad, Jake. Very very sad. All right, See, so I like cleansers. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you want to guess what the next oldest sport is? Basketball. You know what? I think you're wrong. As a matter of fact, I know you're wrong. Oh, Rick, now
0: you're, now you're into data money. and
1: research. Here <laughs> I am guessing, thinking we're doing a guessing game. No, um, because we know when basketball was invented. It was invented in the, like, like the 1920s or 1930s. Uh, but, uh, it was invented in the late 1800s. You, no, it was not. Yes, it was. Or no, I tell you it was not. It was invented by this one guy. It's the only real sport that I'm aware of that has like an actual timeline. Like we know who invented it and how he did it, and it involved peach baskets.
0: 1891. I win. I win.
1: 1930s. You're off by 40 years. No one can see you dance. You can't just. This is this is an audio recording. You can't you can't dance. 1891 son. It doesn't matter because hockey and football are still older. All right, fine. Still older. Sorry. So we're going to go with hockey because I'm thinking that that probably, uh, it, it you know now that I think about it, it's probably a lot older than than baseball. But because I'm sure that people were playing it in the 1300s. In 1875. Ah, so there you go. All right, so we're going to go with hockey now. Um, Jake, what is your favorite hockey movie of all time? All right,
0: after a lot of soul-searching and not much hockey watching, it would actually, football would be next after my Google research. (laughs) But um, we'll go with hockey because science. (laughs) Uh, I have seen one randomly highfalutin hockey film, and that is 1999's Mystery Alaska. Oh, yeah. Mystery Alaska. It's sort of a dramedy uh, starring Russell Crowe, Hank Azaria. Burt Reynolds is in there. Uh, And it was directed by Jay Roach, who's famous for things like Austin Powers and Meet the Fockers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, real high-class cinema. But uh, Mystery Alaska is about a little town in Alaska who their hockey team is chosen to host this televised outdoor hockey game against the big leagues team and about the dysfunction and the goofiness, though it's not really a goofy movie. It's more of a black comedy If if anything um, that leads to them hosting this big league hockey game.
1: It sounds great. Sounds great. Did you like it? Did you yeah. really like it? Or Better is it- than
0: any other hockey movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. It's like this is more an indictment of the hockey movies I've watched than it is like an yeah. endorsement of Mystery Alaska. And I do In think that I've never seen Miracle, so by default, it couldn't have made my list.
1: Yeah, yeah, you have to rank movies that we have actually seen. So, yeah. so I, it was like it, this or Mighty Ducks. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs>
0: this yeah. it edged it by a nose. <laughs>
1: Emilio Estevez's nose wasn't long enough just not long enough and that is the problem with hockey movies is there's just not enough of them quite frankly sure it would be nice to see a few more hockey movies because I really enjoy hockey as a sport but I have seen Miracle and it also did not make my number one spot it was a very good.
0: My wife is going to be very upset with you. Miracle is a great. Possibly movie. more upset than she is
1: with me for not having
0: watched Miracle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Miracle is a really good, fun movie about the 1980 uh, upset victory of the American Olympic hockey team over the Soviet Union. Um, really fun, exciting, interesting movie that has a lot going for it. But when it comes to hockey movies. And just the quality of the hockey movies, I think you've got to go inside out. Inside Out, Pixar. Riley was a hockey player. This is a stretch. She, yeah, she played hockey, but it's not a hockey movie. It. She had a whole island dedicated to hockey. But, but you know what? Or memory from her, from her being that that taught joy. That sadness blended with happiness can be a viable emotion because she missed that one shot, that one winning goal. But her teams, teammates came and came around her anyway. It was a very beautiful moment. You know what?
0: So, yeah. This validates every crazy pick I've ever made. And, um, <laughs> all in on it. All in, Paul. Great pick. Great pick. Totally. Slam dunk it's like you took a it's like you took a hockey stick and you made a field
1: goal using a rugby ball <laughs> inside out really it's a great hockey movie. it doesn't have a lot of hockey action in it, but it gets to you know it's it's got the ice it's got the it's got the sticks it's got the pucks it's got the nets it's perfect
0: i mean it's got everything that a good hockey movie's got in it <laughs> and by that i mean. Some hockey.
1: <laughs> so are you ready to jump back in time and do football movies? Yes, now we shall jump back in time because, um, well, see the thing is, football wasn't really popular when it when it first came out, right? So it it took a while for it to take off, and it really was a product of of later later generations to to sort of spur it on. But but football, yes. Let's go on to football. Jake, what is your favorite football movie of all time?
0: So uh with football movies, I've definitely seen more of them. And out of that whole crop, the best one ever made is Facing the Giants. No, I'm just kidding.
1: That one is bad. That's a bad football movie. Don't want Facing Giants is no good. You know, doesn't it doesn't it seem like half of all Christian movies involve football? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of football Christian movies out there.
0: It's true. It's true. So, um, you know, I think if I was making just like if I was if I was making a truly honest straightforward list, it'd be Remember the Titans. Um, but we just talked about I've talked about Remember the Titans a lot. Recently, since I let my son watch it, and we talked about it with regard to the racial um, stories that it told, and um, so I wanted to to go then to probably my next favorite football movie, and say that that would be my favorite football movie. And it's from. <laughs> so you're lying, is what you're saying. That's right, I'm lying for the list, and uh, it's from 1998. So very, very similar time period. It was just a golden age for football movies. Um, and that is Airbud Golden Receiver. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you see, one of the problems that happens with football movies is they don't really feel very much like football. And I think it's true of all the sports movies. You know, there's this element where you kind of got to, if you've played the sport, you kind of got to suspend some disbelief because of the dramatic liberties they take with the sport. My wife played hockey growing up. She doesn't like most hockey movies except for Miracle. She loves Miracle. Which isn't like most hockey movies because they don't accurately portray the sport. So, where Airbud Golden Receiver gets points is that it knows it's not portraying the sport of football. And it really leans into its <laughs> conceit of a dog legitimately being allowed to play middle school football in America while being tracked down by Russian circus owners, essentially. And uh, it it i rewatched this recently with my kids and boy it is just as stupidly hilarious as i remembered <laughs> it is bad and in being bad it is amazing because it kind of knows it's bad
1: yeah, yeah this is maybe this and this is saying something this may be one of the strangest moments i've ever experienced on this podcast where you say Facing the Giants. No, no, terrible movie. But you know what made my list? Number one on my list? Air Bud Golden Receiver.
0: And it, it all comes down to having some self-awareness. Facing the Giants tried to be this, like, serious drama film. Air Bud Golden Receiver
1: knew what it was, and it did it well. And it ends up hurting real good. So I, I've i got a confession about Facing the Giants. I've never seen Air Bud Golden Receiver. I... <laughs> I don't know whether this makes it a must watch or a must never watch for me. But when I was a religion reporter, it was just when facing the giants came out. So they present this trailer during a during a religion reporter conference that I went to. And there's all these, you know, hardened religion reporters just watching the thing i'm sure they were not very impressed this was the first time i had really come face to face i still haven't seen facing the giants but i saw the trailer and i got a little bit weepy watching it i felt i felt sort of silly you know because i was trying to hide it with all my religion reporter friends i was holding my my (laughs) my hand over my i got a migraine it worked for me. The trailer worked The
0: trailer for worked for you.
1: <laughs> but since I, I haven't actually seen it, I I can't call it the very best football. Now, movie
0: now, based on your conceit of a movie just having a scene of a sport in it and then being called a <laughs> football movie, then that would make my favorite football movie of all time, 1991's The Last Boy Scout. <laughs> Have you seen The Last Boy Scout?
1: No, I haven't. It
0: opens on the most brilliant football scene of all time where it's dark, it's rainy, it's a close game. It's The lighting is really poor and, you know, this guy has got to score a touchdown. He has to score a touchdown and he gets the pass and he breaks a tackle, like flattens a guy and then he breaks another tackle and turns that guy into a bowl of soup and then he breaks a third tackle, just shrugs these guys off like that nothing's happening, and you're like, he's on his way to score a touchdown, but there's one more defender in his way, and they're flashing back and forth between the defender's eyes and the guy running the football, and then he reaches into his waistband, and he pulls out a gun, and he shoots the dude in the face, and then he shoots another dude, and then he shoots another dude, and then he scores a touchdown. And I was just like, what is happening right now? It seems this is like- the greatest football scene of all time because it makes no sense. It seems like there
1: was some serious broke. foul penalties that wouldn't <laughs> opt
0: for that. You know, yeah, it's like, I don't think the touchdown counts anymore, buddy. Just, just guessing.
1: Oh my goodness. All, All right.
0: Who right. wrote this scene? He just shakes off three tackles. Like they're three year olds trying to take down a freight train. And then he's like, you know what? For this next guy, bullet. <laughs> That'll teach him.
1: <laughs> uh. I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm not going to say anything. There were just, there were a lot of comments, but I think they would all get me into trouble. All right. So I, uh, I think that one movie that you should see on the, the theme of Airbud, golden receiver, and perhaps on the last boy scout Mark's brothers, horse feathers. You should see that. Mm. It's all about, all about football. Put it on your backlist, all of shame, because it is a hoot. Love those Mark's brothers movies, but it is not number 1 on my list. We've already talked about football, so thankfully my number 1 is quite boring and we've already talked about it. Remember the Titans. It's a, number 1 on my list. It's it
0: not included it as number 1
1: on my list. <laughs> Secretly, it's the first thing we've ever agreed on. I I also thought uh, Silver Linings Playbook was an interesting footballish um, movie. I've never seen that one jerry Maguire was kind of a football movie that i enjoyed uh but remember the titans when you're talking about pure football man i really did like that movie
0: yeah good flick good flick all right that brings us to the most newest sports
1: the newest sport even though it was invented in what 1891 1891 um and who invented it dr james naismith oh yeah of course of course a canadian i was right about the peace beach baskets you were right about that so basketball this is a sport that you are wearing at this very second you are wearing a golden state warriors sweatshirt so i know you have some strong feelings on basketball
0: representing even though they had a terrible season
1: they had a terrible terrible season but injuries you know um so tell me jake what is the best Basketball
0: movie of all time. So what I discovered when making my list was that the 1990s was the golden age of sports movies for me, <laughs> because it was 1996 Space Jam that <laughs> crowned my list.
1: <laughs> okay. Airbud, golden receiver, onto Space Jam. Yes. That's right.
0: Yes. That's right. The pinnacle of basketball filmmaking. If I was Aaron Rodgers, I would have picked Juana Man, but... I actually haven't seen all of Juana Man, so I had to go with Space Jam. Uh, Space Jam, similarly to Airbud, knows that it's a ridiculous premise. And the cameos from Bill Murray alone make it a worthwhile film to watch. Uh, just what, Bill Murray as he, and Larry Bird, as they watch Michael Jordan suck down a golf hole, and then they just drive away in our golf cart and bill murray quips to larry bird i'm going to give us both a three back there because we were in no emotional condition to putt (laughs) it's so good it's so good and the movie is filled with great little moments like that space jam it's worth it
1: so are you going to stand in line for space jam 2 starring lebron james
0: uh, you know, I don't know if standing in line is a thing anymore, but well, it is true. <laughs> if it is, I still line. won't, <laughs> but if, if it is, or if it isn't, I'll watch it, you, <laughs> you know, I'll watch it because I'm invested in this. Who's the greatest. And so this is LeBron's opportunity to eclipse Jordan as the goat.
1: Oh, wow. See, that would be a very interesting conversation. LeBron against Jordan. Oh man.
0: Who's the greatest? Actor?
1: I I got to go with LeBron. Honestly.
0: I mean, from from a pure
1: athletic standpoint.
0: Athletic standpoint and full rounded out skill set, I just don't think you I think LeBron is just a different specimen.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, is Michael Jordan the greatest competitor of all time? I I would give him the edge in that. Mhm. But I don't have that in pure talent in pure skills physical skill sets. Yeah. LeBron can shoot from range, he can play in the post, he can play mid-range. He's he is just a freak.
1: Yeah, he he truly is. I mean, he can he can really play every position there is. I've seen him I've seen him work the ball up the court as well as most point guards. Right. It, but the guy is just so big; he can dominate around the basket like nobody's business. Golden State Warriors, their first, uh, their first championship. LeBron almost single-handedly beat them. Oh. You know? so that would be my bet. But in- and Jordan was a system guy. When you watch the Last
0: Dance, it proves Jordan was a system guy. He and spent, oh, I- he spent almost a whole decade in a, playing awesome. For not very great teams, and it wasn't until he had Phil Jackson's system and the right complementary pieces that he was able to get all those championships.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, Jordan was amazing. He, I loved watching him play. I never thought he was on honestly that much better than Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. I'll just say it. There, I said it. <laughs> well, there, there we go. There go the ratings. <laughs> all right. All right. Best basketball movie of all time. It is not Space Jam. It is not Space Jam. It might be. You haven't even seen Space Jam. I have seen Space Jam, actually. My kids were of age when Space Jam came about. It's anyway. Hoosiers. Hoosiers is an amazing movie. I, and I actually think I actually did this list in part because I think that Hoosiers just might be about the best sports movie there has ever been it's really really good jake really good
0: i have seen it it's just i think i saw it when i was maybe nine it is the mr
1: smith goes to washington of sports movies like a minute ago you were saying a different movie was the mr smith of sports yeah. movies yeah Field don't of me, Dreams. don't knock me for my inconsistency it's a really great movie gene hackman um this small time coach. I've actually talked about this on other podcasts, so I don't need to belabor it. It's just it's just a really good movie. And if you haven't seen it, it's great and it's PG. So I don't have to issue a huge content caveat for it either.
0: There you have it. I uh it's been a long time since I've seen Hoosier, so the only thing I can say is that Gene Hackman, for my money, at the end of the birdcage looks exactly like Glenn Close. <laughs> and that's all i'll say
1: (laughs) wow all righty
0: and now it's time for the most least important thing and the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours, where we make the molehills into yon yonder mountainscapes and and reduce mountains to rubble, and uh, it's uh, what we ever we wanted to be, including lack of grammar, good, bad, or nothing. <laughs> I'm going first this time around, and my most least important thing is what promises to be a fascinating combination of pop culture. And that is we just got a new trailer for a movie that was delayed into December, wherein a bank teller discovers he's actually a NPC, non-playable character inside a brutal open world video game. (laughs) And it's called free guy. And it stars Ryan Reynolds, Taika Waititi, directed by Sean Levy. This will probably have a lot of content caveats, but <laughs> video games, movies, Ryan Reynolds, Taika Waititi, December, Christmas time movies just sounded like the most least important thing to me.
1: <laughs> well,
0: and we got a trailer now.
1: That makes me want to watch it. We shall see. We shall see. All these movies are being sort of postponed, you know? Right. Right before we, uh, we went on air, the, uh, learned that James Bond was being postponed yet again, not even going to be able to see the new James Bond movie until 2021. Very sad. Sad day. Ten The only movie we get to actually talk about this, this year. We'll see. Paul, what's Tenement. your most least important thing? Most least important thing for me. Um, since we're talking about sports, I only th- thought it appropriate to really talk about the the heart of all sports, and that's the shoes. Um, there is a new partnership. This is a this is a. I am not big into shoes, right? I know that that there's a lot of people who pay a lot of attention to what they wear on their feet. They can spend thousands upon thousands of dollars buying just the right pair of tennis shoes. I am not interested in any of that at all. Until I saw that Adidas had partnered with Star Wars and Mm. creating Star Wars themed sneakers, including furry ones based on Chewbacca. Ooh, and clearly that's the pair
0: you're going to purchase. That
1: is the pair I am going to get. Much like the Wookiee warrior's character, this story says, uh, the sneaker features, this is from ABC News, by the way, the sneaker features furry-like light brown hair, strands on the upper sole and tongue of the shoe. The tongue of the silhouette also includes a trinket that's much like the belt Chewbacca wore during Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Now, until now, I had thought that he had just worn the same belt pretty much all the time. But these are definitely good shoes, very furry. I think that they would be nice and warm on cold winter's days, and they would certainly draw one's attention on the basketball court.
0: I've noticed a theme in a lot of your most least important things in that you seem to have this running theme of gift ideas for me (laughs) to purchase for you.
1: It is available, Jake, (laughs) October 22nd. You can order people who you talk with a lot. (laughs) If you care to. Got it.
0: Got it. You know, I'm not much of a kicks person myself. You know, it's not been my thing of choice either until a couple of years ago, uh, in conjunction with March madness, pizza hut, introduce some limited edition kicks that had a Bluetooth like button in the tongue that you could sync up with your pizza hut app and like create a favorite order. So that then when you push the tongue on your shoes, it automatically orders that your favorite order from your closest pizza hut for you. And dispatches a delivery driver to bring your pizza to you and you know what i thought that was just about the best shoe i had ever seen in my entire life
1: you know what you know what that does it actually turns pizza into soul food
0: we're going out on a high folks that's it for pop culture with fanboy and know it all i'm jake i am paul thank you so much for joining us until next time you can catch us up on twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson
1: i'm at ac paul
0: We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.